Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 46 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike. That is Gavin. Gavin, do you want to tell everybody exactly what your current recording setup is right now? Because when you told me before we started recording, I got a little giddy on the inside. I sure do, Mike. Um, and so this is actually going to serve in place of uh, the calendar, because I do not have the calendar in here with me. And by in here, I mean Good. inside a uh, little blanket fort that I made for myself. So a little background. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I do not typically just make uh, blanket forts for fun, although I really should. Uh, we all should, realistically. We but, all should. Uh, so I am still in the hotel. If you did not listen to episode, I don't remember what it was, uh, but about me having a job. Uh, so uh, only a couple of episodes ago. But so I've been living out of a hotel more or less for the last 41 or 42, I think. Yeah, somewhere in that in that area. Uh, but yeah, I've been living out of a hotel for the past a little over a month now because I'm uh, working a job out in the desert monitoring a construction project for fossils. And uh, this past weekend was the first time that I was able to go home back to my uh, apartment uh, in a different part, non-deserty part of California. And uh, but they put me in a new room when I came back here on uh, Sunday night. The room that I had was perfect. Uh, there was a nice big desk, and it was not super echoey. I could just sit at the big desk and record the podcast. This new room, not so much. The table's really little, and it's very, very echoey. So <laughs> I decided there was only one possible solution for that, and that was to build myself a blanket fort. <laughs> And I didn't realize until we started <laughs> recording. So yeah, like I'm having so much fun in here. And <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that I didn't have the calendar in here with me until after we started recording. Uh, but you know what? If, I haven't even looked at the calendar. So if it turned out there was a good paleontology one in here, I'll just do it next week and lie to you. Uh, you won't know First the difference. First time for everything. So. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> anyway, uh, also, there was, there was also a somewhat... Uh, selfish reason as well other than just not wanting to move which is pretty selfish uh for not getting the calendar in that this episode is going to be a little long just because i really enjoy the group that we're talking about in this episode and that is rhinos uh rhinos are some of my favorite animals which i'm looking they're, forward to they're so funky and uh so charismatic uh and so we're getting back to sort of our roots of talking about a specific group of of animals today and it's a group that I actually worked on a little bit for my thesis, not too much, um, but I'm generally familiar with rhinos as a whole, but I did learn a whole lot for the uh, background for this research as well. So I, question for you, yeah. before we even get started here, so we're talking about rhinos this episode. We sure are. How correct am I to just say that a rhino is a unicorn? Uh, we'll circle around to that at the end of the episode for sure. Um, so okay. not complete, mostly incorrect, but not totally incorrect. Um, so All right. but you're, pre you're pretty close, though. By the way, for everybody, just go ahead. Just for everybody at home listening, if there's a, a slightly larger than normal delay, you can uh, you can blame Gavin and his hotel Wi-Fi. But we will we will that... do our best to work around that as we talk yeah. through this episode. Yeah, that's true. The hotel Wi-Fi. I mean, it's a three-star hotel. You can't expect four-star Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> so no, look at this is this is a three-star podcast. So yeah, this is what <laughs> this is what you get. 
Um, yeah, so rhinos. Rhinos are, you're starting at the very basic level. Rhinos are mammals. So they, they're vertebrate animals with backbones, just like you or I. They're mammals, you know, things that uh, with hair and things that produce milk, like you and I. Um, and within mammals, they are ungulates. I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, whoa. I do not produce milk, whoa. if that's what you're getting at. You and I are... Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, the that's, females just, produce I, milk. Whatever. I had some questions there. Yeah. I was going to say, I... Uh, I thought you, I might have learned something new about myself and something new about you. You knew what I meant. Don't lie to me. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, within mammals, they are ungulates, meaning things with hooves. Rhinos are only sort of like, like they're for sure in that group, but they don't have hooves like you think of with like a cow or a horse. Um, they have much more distinct toes. Uh, for sure than a horse does. Um, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, within ungulates, they are perissodactyls, meaning that they are an ungulate with an odd number of toes. Uh, you know, other examples would be horses and tapers. Rhinos, horses, and tapers are the only perissodactyls alive today. There's a so several, several more groups that uh, are no longer around. Very, very diverse fossil group. Uh, but there's just not that many of them alive today, at least different species. Humans kind of mucked that up when we uh, domesticated horses, but <laughs> uh, just as, as humans are wont to do. Um, and then within the perissodactyls, there's sort of two main major groups. There is the hippomorpha, which is sort of the horse side of the, of the perissodactyls, and the tapiromorpha, the taper rhino side of the of the family tree. So rhinos are on the taper side. And then here's where things get a little weird. Because for the most part, um, when you refer to a group by its colloquial name, it generally refers to the family. So for example, things like tigers and lions and even your house cat. Most, even scientists refer to them as cats. You know, maybe not formally in a paper, but they're all in the same family. They're in the family Felidae. Uh, and you just generally refer to them as cats. Same thing with dogs. You know, whether it was a domesticated dog or a wolf or, uh, you know, like African painted dogs, which are not in the same genus or even all that closely related. Uh, or even things that are no longer around, like the uh, bone crushing dogs that I also worked with for my thesis. Uh, those are all in the family Canidae. And they're just called dogs. So I assumed, going into this episode, that rhinos would mean the family that rhinos are in, rhinoceratidae. That apparently is not the case, which actually made this episode more fun for me. Big news. Be yeah, this, this made this episode more fun for me uh, because it apparently includes um, the entire super family of the Rhinoceratoidea. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Super family? Yeah, so there are, I want to say, like 17 named ranks. Super family is above family but below order. Sure. Uh, Taxonomy is weird. We, we've had a whole episode about it, and I could have several more episodes realistically. Um, but yeah, Rhinoceratoidea. 
or rhinoceratoids, if you're referring to just a member of that group, um, are what most people refer to as rhinos in general. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We will for sure talk about the living members that we have today in quite a bit of detail. But we're also going to talk, of course, about their uh, fossil relatives as well. But first, let's go over a little bit of uh, what a rhino even is. So this is going to be mostly focused on some of the uh, living uh, rhinos, just because they're what most people kind of have as their frame of reference. So describe briefly to me, Mike, a rhino. Oh, geez. So it's big. It's gray. There's a horn. I feel like they're aggressive, you know, tail, four feet. I feel so spoiler alert in case this isn't obvious. <laughs> I don't have a, like a great grasp of what mm-hmm. makes a rhino a rhino. My it's, you know, we have talked about the Supreme Court's definition of porn a whole lot here. Yes, we have. Um, I guess the best way I could phrase it is like an elephant looking thing with horns instead of um, instead of like a big long tusk. Okay. Um, it's got like horns on its nose, snout, um, you know, whatever you might want to call it. That's, I think as good as I'm going to be able to do when I think of rhino. I guess I guess when I said unicorn at the beginning, because I just pulled up a picture, I guess when I said unicorn at the beginning, that's not entirely true because it looks like they mostly have two of these horns. That depends, and we'll get into that. So, I'll, I guess, okay, so a sort of elephant-adjacent looking thing with the primary difference being horns um, and no tusk. Okay. Is what I'm going with, but that is a rather poor way to go about this, I think. Not as poor as you might think, because um, I, I want to say that I mentioned this in really our episode about elephants. Let me, because I actually have referenced this episode later in the episode. Um, da, 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 da. Episode 26, we talked about elephants and their relatives, uh, but oh, there wow. was a... Uh, a brief moment in time where instead of classifying groups of animals by their ancestry and connectedness, we did it by uh, shared features, which you might think are the same thing, but not necessarily. So, for example, birds and mammals were grouped more closely related together because we are warm-blooded. Obviously, there are many things that are more closely related to birds than they are to mammals, things like lizards, crocodiles, and such that are, that are you know, quote-unquote cold-blooded. Um, but under this system that was used for only, you know, a handful of years back in the relatively early 1900s, um, that's, just, that's how things were categorized. And one group that was made under that system was a group called Pachydermata. You might have heard uh, of a pachyderm which is a general term for these days. I think it's mostly referring to elephants, Um, but it means thick skin. And it was a group made up of elephants, rhinos, and hippos because they all have generally thick, tough, grayish brown skin. Uh, So there was an official. Are we ever going to have a hippo episode? Maybe. The hippo fossil record's not great. Um, I'll put it on the list. Really? Okay. Yeah. I might it might be tied into a whales episode. 
because whales are super cool. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. All right. But yeah, so uh, you wouldn't be totally wrong in grouping them with elephants historically, but these days, as, as we classify things okay. uh, these days, yeah, that, that's not a great comparison. Although they are generally the second largest land animals. Uh, the uh, African white rhino is, I believe, the largest land mammal that is, or land animal in general, that is not an elephant. Uh, so mm-hmm. they do have a lot of overlap there. But I sort of generally refer to, think of rhinos as like a kid's, you know, they're playing with action figures of like a horse. And they're like, what if I just put a bunch of armor on it and put a big spike on the front? And that's kind of a <laughs> So uh, unlike their horse cousins, because as I said, they're in the same uh, group. They're in the same order as horses. Uh, rhinos are mainly browsers. Uh, horses mainly eat grass and, and tougher uh, plant materials. Rhinos generally, there were lots of grazing rhinos in the past, but most of them today eat leafy material and twigs instead of grasses. They're able to eat grasses, especially uh, the two African species. Uh but generally they eat leaves instead. Uh, Rhino teeth are actually really interesting. They're not as derived and specialized as horse teeth. Uh, Head back to, I don't remember what episode it was about horses. I believe I referenced it later in the episode though, so stay tuned. Uh, But in our episode about horses, we talk a whole lot about horse teeth because they're incredibly specialized. Uh, Rhino teeth aren't quite as specialized as horses. And they actually, in cross-section, form a similar shape to the Greek letter pi, which is interesting. Um, Oh. Yeah. They're really interesting. Like like pi 3.14, or like that's what we're talking about? That mm -hmm. shape? Yeah. Okay. So, um, like horses and other uh, ungulates, they walk on the very tips of their toes, like ballerinas. Um, But unlike horses, they have three toes on each foot. Uh, and they have a pad in their feet like elephants do, which is a general adaptation for things just being really large and really heavy. Um, and they also have several things that are called sesamoid bones in their feet for extra support. And lots and lots of animals have these. Uh, I believe that humans have a couple in their feet as well. But these ones do some extra heavy lifting. And I was fuzzy on the the meaning of what a sesamoid bone was. So I looked it up and now I want to share it with you because it's really fascinating. So. Okay, please do. Sesamoid bones are are bones that are embedded within a tendon or a muscle. So it's a bone like inside. In? Yes. So. What purpose does that serve? Sometimes they form due to a like a sprain if you've ever sprained your ankle you probably notice that your ankle is more stiff than it used to be that's because some of the tendons uh it's called ossified they became bone or at least if they're not fully bone they have bone in them now and are stiffer and less flexible than they used to be they can be used to heal uh things like that however they do sort of uh just kind of form in order to uh, act like a pulley and provide better leverage. Sometimes also just for a, a smooth surface for tendons to slide over. Um, for example, your uh, kneecap 
is a sesamoid bone. It's the largest sesamoid bone in most animals' bodies. Um, but you'll notice, you know, your kneecap's not like actually attached to your leg. It is entirely within like the tendon that goes from, you know, your thigh to your calf. I mean, yeah, but it's not inside the tent. Like the tendons, you know, attached to it in like pulling it. But like the bone itself is not inside the tendon, right? To my knowledge, it is. I have really. I've never dissected a a human leg, uh, but to my knowledge, yeah. So when I'm like just like tapping on my kneecap, like I don't know if the listeners can hear that, but I'm tapping my kneecap. Right now, I'm like actually hitting the tendon before I'm hitting the bone. So in humans, I don't know. I'm not a human anatomist. Um, in okay. in several animals, yeah. So That's again, take wild. take that take that with That's a grain of salt. I, I I don't know human anatomy all that well. Um, okay, so but assuming that we're talking about animals, there are bones that are literally inside of you know tendons and ligaments. For sure, and even Not if just, the, you know, that are, mm-hmm. wow, even if the patella is a bad example, like you, if your kneecap's a bad example, you have several in your foot. Um, a way that you can tell if, so say you find like a human skeleton, or just the general skeleton of uh, a, a mammal, if you look at the sesamoid bones in, I believe in humans, it's actually called like the sesamoid bone. Uh, it's on your thumb. And if it's ossified, that generally means that that individual has hit puberty. Uh, if it's not ossified, that means the individual is not. Um, so you can generally get a rough age estimate uh, based on that. Huh. I, I never knew this was possible. This like, I, I, I don't even know what to say other than you've already blown my mind. You know. Yeah. Well, thank you. you. Less that's, than halfway through this episode. That's what I go for. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we're going to get into the modern diversity quite a bit here. Uh, so th- this is kind of the easiest, easiest way that I kind of found to define a rhino because I looked up for like an actual taxonomic definition because every group has one and it was not readily available to me. And because of my work schedule, I was unable to search super high and low for it. There obviously is one. I was not able to find a great like this is what separates rhinos for sure from their close relatives that are not rhinos. So there is a definition for it. Uh, just due to my life okay. circumstances, I was not able to find it. So uh, modern, modern diversity. So there are five living species of rhinos uh, in four genera, the, the plural of genus. So we're going to start off with the Indian rhino which is uh, in the genus Rhinoceros, funnily enough. Uh, But the species is Rhinoceros unicornis because it only has one horn. Ha, you're kidding. You're kidding. So this is not the one that I said we were going to be circling back to. Uh, There's another one that I think you'll get a kick of at the very end. Um, And so something that you probably know about rhinos, if you've heard anything about them, is that they're not doing that well right now. So uh, for each of the five, yeah, rhinos in general are doing really poorly because um, of many cultural reasons. Um, 
mostly it's that many cultures use their horns in their traditional medicines. And rhinos are pretty dangerous animals, so the best really? way to get their horn is to kill it and take it off. When you say use their horns in medicines, like, is this proven science that is being absolutely done? Not. Or is this pseudoscience? It's absolutely pseudoscience because, so a rhino's horn is okay. made up of keratin. I think there might be a couple other components, some things that I read uh, suggested that the center of it might have some calcium in it, might have uh, a couple other different kinds of, um, you know, things or like a melanin, things to make it harder. But in general, it's just keratin, which is the same stuff that your hair and your fingernails are made out of. So a lot of okay. cultures would sometimes grind them up and uh, into like a powder and make various things to treat different ailments for it. Uh, in a lot of cultures, it's ri powdered rhino horn is seen as an aphrodisiac. So uh -huh. uh, there's literally no evidence for that at all. You would get the same effect if you cut off a bunch of your hair, like your own hair, and ground that up and ate it slash drank it. You can buy, there are for sure are ke uh, keratin supplements you can Jeez. buy at like a drugstore. Now that's in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are for sure like keratin supplements at drugstores and things. Um, but those help you grow hair or have healthier hair or skin because there's some keratin in your skin as well. But that's pretty much it. So there's no science at all to rhino horns being any kind of, of medicinal use. So, which makes it all the more tragic. Not that it would be like un tragic if we were killing all these really cool animals for their horns even if it did have some kind of medical effect but the fact that it doesn't is just very sad and very stupid uh yeah mm -hmm. so uh, yeah uh so with the each of these rhino species i'm going to list uh also how they are doing in the wild how many individuals there are uh and sort of how well they're doing in captivity as well so uh, that little rant aside, uh, going back to the Indian rhinoceros, which is uh, Rhinoceros unicornis, it is listed as vulnerable uh, in, ter in the terms of, you know, like endangered. Uh, it basically goes okay. endangered. Is that a step above endangered? Yes, it is. Uh, it goes basically okay. extinct is the worst, obviously. Critically endangered, endangered, vulnerable, uh, and not registered because it's doing okay. So... They are vulnerable. Okay. There are about 3,600 individuals in the wild, which might not sound like a lot, but they're all pretty well protected in mostly in a single really, really big uh, national park in India. Really? In just in one place? I mean, it's a, you can find them other places as well. I think you can find them in uh, Nepal as well, uh, but mostly in India. Yeah. Which, again, okay. it's it's... I, I remember looking at their, uh, like, native range, and it wasn't, like, massive to begin with, to my knowledge, at least for the Indian rhinoceros. Uh, huh. So. Okay. Uh, but they're also doing really well in uh, captive breeding programs, which is encouraging. So. Yeah. Good next, news. Uh, in the same genus. We have the Javan rhino from the island of Java, which is uh, in like Southeast Asia in the Pacific. 
which is Rhinoceros sondicus. And this one, sadly, is critically endangered. There are less than 70 individuals in the wild and none in captivity. So Jeez. they are obviously really highly protected, but obviously, you know, poachers, you know, poachers going to poach. Uh, so they are. I, was, I mean, this seems like a really, you know, even if they're really well protected, that's such a small number, it seems like to be kind of relying like it's almost like a single point of failure it seems like, like okay we got we got these ones in one protected area and we're gonna do a good job that for sure you is know, a like problem. single points of failure always kind of scare me yeah that definitely is a problem um other rhino species that we're gonna talk about have come back from fewer than that to be doing relatively well today um so it is okay possible albeit pretty unlikely uh, because, like I said, there are none in captivity, and we never really figured out how to make them happy and breed in captivity. In fact, they kept dying relatively young. So, um, hmm. okay. I don't believe there have been any in captivity for at least 50, if not closer to 100 years. So, like, it might be easier to try it now, but there are so few of them, I feel like people are kind of scared to try. So, someone should give it a shot. Uh, so, next, we have the Sumatran rhino, also from Southeast Asia, which is uh, a separate genus. We're no longer in the genus Rhinoceros, but this is uh, Dicerorhinus sumatrensis, is the species of uh, this one, which is also, sadly, critically endangered. Uh, depending on whose estimate you're going off of, there are anywhere from 30 to 80 individuals. Uh, there, were some, there was some captive success, uh, uh, at, like breeding them in zoos, those programs are now all located in Indonesia because there are so few of them that they want them all sort of centrally located um, so they can like better keep track of their progress. And that there's a okay. whole bunch of controversy around that one as well that we're not going to go into because we don't have time. Um, but it's a really interesting read, actually. So then we have uh, the, by far the most populous, uh, the one that's doing the best, uh, rhino, which is the African white rhino, which is Ceratotherium sinum, which is classified as near threatened. Uh, so that's sort of a step above vulnerable. We're on the lookout. Right. It's something that they're watching, but is they're doing roughly okay now. Uh, there are roughly 20,000 of them total. Um, uh, I think that actually might just be the wild number. Uh, they're actually doing pretty well in captivity. If you've ever seen a rhino in a zoo, I can pretty much guarantee it was one of these. Um, okay. So I will say there is two subspecies of this. The southern white rhino is the one that's doing really well. The northern white rhino subspecies. Uh, there are two individuals left, and they're both female. So uh, that one's sadly going extinct. <laughs> That makes me sad. Yeah. And lastly, uh, for the living species, there's the African black rhino, which is Dicerus bicornis instead of unicornis, because this one has two horns, uh, which is also sadly critically endangered. There are around 5,500 uh, individuals in the wild. And I was not able to find a number for if there are any in captivity, so I'm inclined to say that there's not. I don't know that for a fact, but I didn't find any good numbers for if there even were any to begin with. Um, and so 
with that, that's our five species that we have around today. And uh, a, a little quick uh, misnomer <laughs> about the white and black rhino. Oh, boy. They're neither white nor black. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Yeah, so they're both, they both can range from like a really light tan uh, or gray to being sort of darker, not really quite black, but also definitely not white. So the white rhino, we're not sure of like the etymology, why it's called the white rhino. Um, some things that I read said that it might have been from uh, a native word from one of the uh, local tribes or potentially a uh, mispronunciation of a word from Dutch from when they were colonizing the area. Either way, that one's called the white rhino for weird reasons. But the black rhino is called the black rhino so that you could differentiate it from the white rhino and you could know which one you're talking about, not because it's actually black. So, yeah. Uh, and then last, last thing for uh, these living species. So they have a weird phylogeny, which, you know, is sort of their tree of life between the, the five of them. Everyone's pretty sure, everyone pretty much agrees that obviously the two species in the genus Rhinoceros are closely related, close enough to be in the same genus, and that the two African species are closely related to each other. Uh, but the Sumatran rhino is the one that kind of screws some things up. Sometimes it's grouped with the species in the genus Rhinoceros, so that'd be the Indian and Javan rhino. Sometimes it's sort of outside of the other four. Uh, most things that I saw grouped it with the Indian and Javan rhinos, like including the Wikipedia, um, which also conflicted oh, really? itself. Well, it conflicted itself because the Wikipedia article kept mentioning that it was the most ancient living species based on its DNA. So I'm assuming that they meant that it was the most uh, basal, like the 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 outgroup. But the only cladogram, like actual like tree of life diagram that they had on the Wikipedia page, had it in the middle instead of on the outside. So, um, oh, okay, yeah, I and I read it. I even like read a couple papers because I was really interested, and uh, I did not find a definitive result. So, yeah, take that with a with a grain of salt. Open question, I guess. Yeah. So, those were our rhinos we have today. But how did they get to be that way? So, rhinos and tapers make up a group of prisodactyls called the ceratomorpha, which means horn shape, I believe is what that means. But I believe that just the cerato is in reference to rhinos because the vast majority of ceratomorphs don't actually have horns. To my knowledge, there are no horned tapers. And I would say even the vast majority of rhinos aren't even horned, which is weird because you think of rhinos and you think of the horn but the, the majority of them were not horned. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. And so... That can't be correct. It, it definitely is. So... Oh, wow. So uh, extremely diverse... Uh, ceratomorphs have a very, very diverse uh, fossil record, despite there only being four genera of rhinos and one genus of taper today. So the, the living diversity is not like a good representation of their historical diversity. The first ceratomorphs show up in sort of the Middle Eocene epoch around 45 million years ago. And during this time, the world was like really, really wet and really warm and very forested. 
you would not find places like the Great Plains anywhere on the planet at all. Um, it was all very, very foresty. And it was around this time where the ceratomorphs split into the tapiroidea, the, the taper side of it, and the rhinoceratoidea, the ones that we're talking about today, the, the rhinoceroses. And the rhinoceroses can be split quick up. Quick pause. Yeah. Quick question for you. So um, when it comes to the plural of rhinoceros, is it rhinoceroses or rhinoceri? Uh, I would say rhinoceri, I did not see that anywhere. I saw, you could say rhinoceros okay. as so. the plural or rhinoceroses. Also, Good to know. I, All right, I, that was just a... You know, sometimes things just come to mm. my head. No, for sure. Uh, and also, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. The word rhinoceros means horn nose, which I think is oh, funny. Oh, does it really? Okay. It does, which I think is funny given that, uh, like I said, the majority of them may, depending on, you know, if I would say the majority of groups were not horned, uh, depending on how you count it, the majority of species may or may not have. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that. I mean, look, that's still, you know. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that part of the fact that I just <laughs> heard that rhinoceros means horn nose. Yeah. And I'm just going to love every minute. Of it. Also, just side note, as we're you know half-ish way through this episode, for me, you're coming in and out like robot voice. I'm not sure what the listeners are hearing, but if uh, you kind of oh, pause no. for a second, I don't say anything. It's because I have no idea what was going on. So this has happened before and it's turned out fine, but just throwing that out there. Okay. Well... We're going to truck on and see what happens. We're having fun regardless. Absolutely. That's the goal. So uh, the rhinoceratoids uh, are generally made up of three families. Four, depending on who you ask. We'll talk about that. So the first one is the Aminodontidae. Generally from around the late Eocene, so around 38 million years ago, to the uh, late Oligocene or early Miocene around 25 million years ago. Mostly found in Asia and North America and generally depicted as semi-aquatic and like almost hippo-like uh, to the point where some of them were referred to as swamp rhinos, which I think is funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and so some of them, like that's true for some of them. Some of them did have that general shape. Uh, for example, one of the you know, most common group uh, members of this group that I saw talked about was called Metaminodon, uh, which uh, had generally like hippo proportions, a big barrel shaped body, really short legs, um, and really big, uh, almost tusk like canine teeth, uh, which most rhinos today lack. They don't even have canines. So, really interesting that they had tusks similar to hippos almost um but sadly uh they went extinct generally uh not that they, they weren't around for super long like i said they made it until around 25 million years ago so they were around for you know less than 20 million years still a good run but not around for super long plus it's generally the least studied of all of these groups that we're talking about so there's just not a ton of information about them in general why is that? Why are they the least studied? Um, I don't know if there's they just weren't as prolific. Uh, you know, there weren't as many of them. Uh, some of the areas that I think they're found in might not be the most sampled, particularly in Asia. Uh, 
So I know Eocene and Oligocene stuff in North America is pretty well studied. So I think that they just weren't, uh, probably the fossils that we have of them probably aren't great as well. So it could be a variety okay. of reasons. I didn't really find anything specific other than they're not that well studied. Homework for the listener, I guess. Yeah. So the next group, which is one that I really enjoy, is the family Hyracodontidae, which are generally referred to as the running rhinos. Okay, I guess I guess other rhinos, rhinos can't run. Uh, <laughs> um, is is that true, or is that just are we going based on names? Oh no, rhinos can definitely run. Rhinos can run quite fast. Uh, <laughs> okay, so this is this is like a you know, it either either misnamed or it's you know so it implies other rhinos can't run which is not correct right well these are just especially adapted for running um so from okay. the th- this group goes from the early eocene so around 48 million years ago to uh the early miocene also around 25 million years ago so they go extinct around the same time that uh the previous group did but these are found in Asia and North America, as well as Europe, which I don't believe the last, uh, the, the aminodonts were not found in Europe at all, to my knowledge. Um, and the key hmm. feature of this group is that they have really long legs that are adapted for a more running lifestyle, which is interesting because when they first show up in the early Eocene, uh, that was not the most preferential lifestyle just because if you're really good at running, um, that might not be the best adaptation for a forest, you know, because you'd have to weave in and out of trees a lot and being well adapted for running generally limits your flexibility. We talked about this in the horses episode because Does it really, yeah, yeah, because, okay. uh, horses, at least the modern horses we have today are really good at running really fast in a single direction for a long time. Uh, they're not very good at changing directions on a dime because those are those are just different anatomical adaptations. Uh, being able to turn on a dime like that is really good in a forest where there's lots of trees around and you have to turn a lot. But if you're out on the plains uh, where there's not a lot that you're going to have to turn really suddenly for, uh, you, you don't need it. So you can just, you know, run as, as fast as you can in a single direction. And that if you're trying to outrun a predator, that might be good enough. All right. So I mean that you know, if that's all it takes. Yeah, uh, and to my knowledge, oh, I forgot to mention this for the previous group. Uh, neither no, no members of the Aminodontids uh, had horns, and also to my knowledge, no Hyracodonts had horns either. So we're in <laughs> okay. one. We're two of the three families. Uh, traditionally in they're considered rhinos they are they are all can called rhinoceroses but they don't have horns one of the defining characteristics that most people think of uh, when they think about rhinos this might be the most depressing thing i've gotten from this episode it's just let not all rhinos have horns and what are we doing if that's the case but that that doesn't make them less cool as we will talk about okay well then let's get there so uh the Hyracodont started out relatively small, probably around the size of um, like a medium to large dog. 
Um, and with the hierachidonts, and and honestly, like in a lot of other bits of taxonomy, there's a bit of controversy with them. Uh, there's a couple of subfamilies that some people have argued should be their own families outright. And with one especially, I would probably agree, given that I don't study rhinos, my opinion doesn't really matter. But uh, we'll talk about those weirdos in just a second because they're real cool. But generally, uh, hierachidonts look a lot like early horses that we talked about in episode 17. There it is. Episode 17 was about horses. Uh, and they're, re- like I said, relatively small. Um, although these hierachidonts were generally bigger than than the early horses that we talked about then. Um, had longer legs, as you would expect for things that are good at running. Had multiple toes, unlike horses. Uh, generally slender bodies, longer necks. You would have a really hard time telling the difference between these and early horses. Real Okay. Huh. So uh, the main genus that is talked about a lot with uh, hierachidonts is the genus Hyracodon. And uh, this was the most prominent genus uh, within this group, and it went from the Middle Eocene to the Late Oligocene, so like tw- uh, 45 to 25 million years. was around for a really good stretch. There were 11 species in this genus, all with roughly the same build, you know, different anatomical features, obviously, you know, enough to differentiate it and and call them different species, but all were generally about five feet long, maybe around three feet tall. And the earlier species ate mostly leaves, but uh, the later species ate more grass uh, as the climate cooled and, uh, you know, grass became more widespread, uh, again, as we talked about in the horse episode. So now for the weirdos that I was just talking about. All right. I mean, so, weird. This, I mean, weirdos is kind of my brand, so let's do it. So uh, this is a group that is generally classified as the sub as, as a subfamily of uh, Hyracodontidae. Uh, the subfamily is called Indricotherianae. Sometimes you'll hear it called Paraceratherianae, or some people think that this should be its own family, which would be called uh, Paraceratheriidae. Uh, if it ends in a day... That means a family. If it ends in a nay, that usually means a subfamily. So, <laughs> Good to know. Noted for the future. Yeah. So, And the reason why there's multiple different names for this is because the first one of these found uh, was mistakenly identified as something. Um, and so it was uh, initially called, or something else, yeah, the first one was initially called Paraceratherium, which means near hornless beast. And so uh, that was mistakenly thought to be just a regular rhino, not a member of this group. And then they sort of realized the mistake. And so there was, there's just some general confusion about this name in general. And it's because it became very popular because it is real big. Uh, back in episode 26 about the elephants, I mentioned that... Uh, Certain elephants and elephant relatives are contenders for the largest land mammals ever. These are the other contender for largest land man- mammals ever. And okay. there really well, are no other contenders. Uh, there's really no other contenders. It's basically just elephants and these guys. Okay. We're talking about like by weight, by height, by like... We'll get there. So... Okay. 
as with most groups that are really like physically large, they started off generally pretty small uh, with genera like Forster Cooperia, which I think is just a fun name for a genus, um, and Papaceras, also a fun name, which were still similar to Hyracodon, about the size of like a big dog, you know, maybe like somewhere between Greyhound and Great Dane sort of size. And also similar body proportions, really long legs, long neck, skinny, long head. Um, but then they got real big. And the main genus that you'll see talked a lot about is Paraceratherium, which, depending on how you... Which is a great name. It just sounds wonderful. It is. I really like this name. And it was actually... So there is uh, another... I believe that the, the this other one is like an actual rhino in the rhino family. Um, which I believe is called Acertherium, which means hornless beast. And they thought that this was closely related, so they called it Paraceratherium, which means like near hornless beast, because people like to name stuff weird. And it turned out it wasn't even that closely related, so joke's on them. Uh, But (laughs) Paraceratherium is, depending on how you classify largest, the largest land mammal ever. So, unfortunately, there is no complete skeleton of these guys. So, from what we can tell, so they have to take this with a grain of salt because having a whole skeleton would be really helpful, but we also don't have a whole skeleton of uh, a lot of, like, the elephants that we were talking about in this size range. So, um, but from what we can tell for these guys, it was about 16 to 17 feet tall at the shoulder, Real big. At the shoulder. At the shoulder. And had a neck anywhere from six to eight feet long. So like giraffe length neck. Starting at a height of 16 to 17 feet off the ground. And a skull. That's excessive. Yeah, a skull also uh, over four feet long. So by far... (sighs) the physically tallest i mean yeah by far like the physically tallest land mammal ever like by a a substantial margin um and by weight probably about the same if possibly a little bit less than some of the largest elephant cousins um most estimates that i've seen put it somewhere around 15 to 20 tons Although I did see some more conservative estimates uh, that put it close to 11 tons. I mean, still. So uh, t- 10 tons is like a big male African elephant. So 11 tons. Be- these are generally built quite a bit more slender than like an elephant body plan. But still, to be this big, uh, you have to have many, many special adaptations uh, for being that large um which i fully plan on uh doing an entire episode about gigantism because that's a topic that i just really really enjoy we're just like how things can physically be this large that'd be a cool one yeah how things can physically be this large and still function so uh more Mm -hmm. details on that eventually so really really cool this is an animal that mike or i could stand underneath and our heads would not even, like, <laughs> scrape its belly. And to be clear, neither of us are uh, are small men. 
No, we're both roughly six foot tall or a little taller. So, uh, yeah, most Correct. people could comfortably stand under this thing and not touch its belly at all. Massive, massive, massive animals. So, moving on from there, we have the final family in this group, which is the Rhinoceratidae, uh, or you might see it called the true rhinos, uh, mostly because the rhinos that we have today are in this group. So, uh, like the other groups, they first appear in the uh, Eocene, the late Eocene uh, in Eurasia, and they're pretty diverse around this time, uh, but they're pretty small in general, like a lot of their relatives at this time. But some did get quite a bit bigger relatively early on, uh, such as Subhyracodon, uh, which is a genus of hornless species. So even though we're in the, the actual rhino family now, we still have hornless members. Um, but yeah, Subhyracodon was slightly bigger, probably like big dog sized, maybe body proportions more similar to um, maybe like a relatively slender Great Bernard or, or St. Bernard. So really stocky, maybe a little more slender than, than a St. Bernard would be, but about that size. Then in the middle Oligocene, uh, there was kind of an extinction for most of these guys that mostly killed off a lot of the small ones. Pretty much only the, the larger size ones were still around. That could, could have been anything from just changing environments to increased competition uh, to a, a variety of things, but the big ones were pretty much the only ones left after around this time. And so, uh, from around the middle Oligocene into the early Miocene, which was, uh, around 25 to 20 or so million years ago, that's when we start to get horns on a lot of these guys. So even though the, yes, the horns. group of rhinos, <laughs> the group of rhinos in general has been around for close to 50 million years, uh, we only get horns, you know, maybe only like 20 million years ago. So for the majority of the time this group's been around, there were not horns on these animals. So, Jeez. Uh, one of that's, the first... Why? It's, again, it's one of those things where, you know, as a little kid, like, what makes a rhino different than anything else? Well, it's big and it has a horn, and it's, you know, it's one of, it's one of those things. It's like learning that the Scooby gang were probably potheads. Oh, my God. Or that Columbus <laughs> didn't discover America. Like, it's something that I needed to hear because it's the truth, but it strips a little bit of, like, oh, okay, I really am not a kid anymore. Like, you know, life comes at you fast. <laughs> That's what makes it sad. We, we do not endorse Columbus on this podcast. Columbus is in the bad place. Uh, if no, you ever, I get to talk about Columbus is going to be my next seventh grade lesson. When I teach about, when I go to Thursday, we're doing the Christopher Columbus lesson. And I don't scream as loud on any other lesson as I do with Columbus. Like people in other floors can hear me and it's glorious. I love doing that lesson because like I hate he, Columbus. He wasn't even the first European person to make it to North America. Get on Leif Erikson's level. Right. It, it's, uh, there's, there is so much to unpack that we can do it at another time. But Yeah, for sure. Another anywho, time it is. Anywho, so uh, the first horned rhino that I was able to find, there might have been some earlier than this, but this was the first one that I was able to find, uh, is called Minoceris, or Minoceris is probably how you actually pronounce that. But this was about pig-sized, and 
This one had two horns, but instead of the rhinos we have today, they have two horns where there's one in front and then one behind it. This was two horns side by side at the end of the nose. Which is real weird. Side by side at the end of the nose? Yes. Okay. I can't think of uh, any animal that has horns like that today. In fact, actually, no other animals have horns like on their face today, which is, you know, kind of why rhinos have the name horn nose. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, So, yeah, that was the first one Mm. that I was able to find, which was, like I said, from around this time, around 20, 25 million years ago or so. Uh, Teleoceros is another species uh, from a a separate lineage than our living rhinos today. Uh, But this was a lineage that for a long time people thought also evolved convergently with hippos, like those swamp rhinos from before. Um, Because they have a lot of those weird semi-aquatic looking adaptations, you know, short, stocky legs, uh, big barrel-shaped bodies. But based on uh, some chemical, like isotope evidence from their bones and teeth, that's not really supported anymore. Just because you get different uh, isotopes from eating like aquatic plants or even just spending a lot of time in the water, uh, your teeth and bones will take in isotopes from the water that will make your bones give off a different signature uh, than they would if you hadn't done that. So based on that evidence, it seems like they weren't that weird semi-aquatic thing, but they were just kind of doing something. They were kind of doing their own thing. They didn't really need long legs for stuff, so they didn't have them. Okay. Um, so Teleoceros is uh, the genus of rhino that I had uh, at my site for my master's thesis. So this is one of my personal favorites. Um, and even though they weren't doing the hippo thing, them and uh, some other somewhat closely related uh, rhinos, such as uh, Aphelops, which is also just a fun name, um, had tusks as well as small horns, which is neat. Uh, rhinos today What's are... the difference? So the horn is made out of keratin. There's no bone in it. There's no teeth in it. Right. It's literally just keratin, which isn't even attached to their skull properly. Uh, it sits on there, um, and, like, their blood vessels leave patterns on their skull. So you can tell that, like, there was a horn there, uh, but it's not made out of bone. Tusks are teeth. And... Um, oh, Okay. So you could argue, yeah, you, you, well, partially, uh, you could argue that, uh, rhino tusks aren't like actually tusks because I think to technically be a tusk, it has to be ever growing like an elephant's tusk is, uh, where it's like, if an elephant breaks its, its tusk, it will, you know, grow back eventually. I don't believe these were like that. They grew over time and, pretty consistently for quite a few years, but they were not ever growing. So they did stop eventually. So it's like technically, depending on what definition you're using, may or may not be a tusk. But uh, the way that they had them is, was really neat because like those swamp rhinos from before, um, or unlike the swamp rhinos who use their canine teeth as tusks, these ones use their lower incisors. So they each only have uh, one incisor on each side of their lower jaw. And it's pretty much like really long and conical and, and pointed. 
and the upper incisors were flat and really hard and were used to sharpen the lower incisors when they chewed. So the top teeth would grind the lower teeth into a point as they just ate food. Wow. Super what, like, cool. As they got older, I assume? That's that's a yeah. one hell of an adaptation. Yeah. So they would uh, – the teeth really started growing in like that uh, once they started to hit puberty. Um, and there's a big amount of sexual dimorphism in these teeth. Uh, so, for example, I had a male and a female rhino in my collection that I worked on for my master's thesis. And you could tell that because – the one male, obviously the jaw was a bit bigger, but like the incisors were massive, um, like six inches, seven inches long. Um, and, you know, you could easily fit a quarter inside of it, like diameter wise. It, it was really big. Um, and then the jaw that was clearly a female, the, the tooth was only about like pencil size in width. So like the males had much, much bigger oh. tusks than the females did. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, good, good stuff. And so Teleoceros was the last rhino to live in North America and ended up going extinct uh, around the late Miocene, early Pliocene, which was around 5 million years ago. And you probably have noticed if you happen to live in North America that there are no rhinos living here that were not brought here by people. And so all of the rhinos that we have today, like I talked about earlier, are either living in Africa or uh, like Southeast Asia. So uh, the five living rhinos that we have today are all in the subfamily Rhinoceratinae, uh, which evolved in the middle Oligocene. Uh, and all but the Sumatran rhino uh, are in the tribe Rhinoceratini. Rhinoceratini. So if it ends in ini, I-N-I, that usually means a tribe. And... Uh, most of that was relatively recently. Each of these species uh, evolved sometime during the uh, late Pleistocene uh, or, or middle Pleistocene in some cases. So give or take one to two million years ago. And uh, I want to end with a couple of my favorite rhinos that are actually in the rhino family proper. Uh, because one of them is a relatively close relative to the modern rhinos which is uh, Celadonta, uh, which is the and genus... These extinct? Yes, these ones are extinct. Okay. So Celadonta is the genus for the woolly rhino, which was uh, a close relative to, I believe, uh, the Sumatran rhino, the one that's a weirdo that we can't really figure out where it fits. Uh, it was closely Whoa. related to this guy. Woolly rhino. Yeah. A woolly rhino. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, sign me up. Sign me up for some movies where we bring back the woolly rhino. We've had enough of the dinosaur <laughs> Jurassic Park stuff. I want woolly rhinos. Yeah, so, I mean, like with the woolly mammoth, you know, it's just sort of an adaptation for, uh, you know, being in a cold climate. And so uh, these were native to Eurasia in the Pleistocene and went extinct uh, around 10,000 years ago or so, around the same time that mammoths did, probably for similar reasons. Um, and more or less, it was around the same size as the white rhino is today. So the white rhino is the largest rhino species that we have around today. So it was roughly the same size, maybe a bit heavier just because it's kind of bulky for living in a cold climate. 
Um, and the last one that I want to talk about is my favorite. Oh boy. I, well, I lied. It's not my favorite. Paraceratherium, the the, <laughs> gi- the giant one, is my favorite. Um, okay. But, but one of my Number favorites. Two, and we're going full circle again here. So this is uh, a genus called Elasmatherium, which is the largest member of the rhino family proper, so the rhinoceratidae, that I was able to find. There might be a bigger okay. one, but it's the biggest one that I could find. Um, so this one weighed anywhere from four to four and a half tons. Uh, so a, a big animal. Um, that's probably on like the absolute upper limit of like white rhino size. Uh, and around seven, you know, six to seven feet tall at the shoulder. So a really big animal. And its horn could have been up to like about six feet long, potentially. Okay. But instead of being on its nose, it was on its forehead. Is this the unicorn? This is the unicorn. Yeah. Yes. So sometimes I've heard to this referred to as because there's one species that I believe is Elasmatherium sibiricus. So I've heard of it called the Siberian rhino or, or Siberian unicorn. Siberian, because I like that name because it, it's just got this big old horn, which like at the base of it could have been three feet around, not in diameter, but in like circumference uh, at the base of its head. So like very, very large horn, just smack dab in the middle of its face. I mean, it's a shame they're not around anymore, is all I have to say, because there's a lot of, like, eight-year-olds that would have parents pay a lot of money to have one of those <laughs> get painted and show up at a birthday party. Um, yeah, these guys actually went extinct uh, longer ago than uh, the woolly rhino did. I think these ones went extinct closer to 40,000 years ago. Um, but they were also native to, like, Eurasia mostly as well. Um, I don't believe they ever made it down to Africa and definitely we're not in North America. Um, but yeah, so that is, Hey, they walked the earth and that's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. So this is our overview of rhinoceroses or rhinoceri, uh, or all of the cool horned, maybe not horned, uh, groups that, uh, <laughs> that I, that I know and love. All things rhino, and it was certainly a journey for uh, for me to take, and I hope you, the listeners, enjoyed it. This has been episode 46 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike, and that is Gavin, and we'll be back again next week with something new from the science world. Take care, everybody. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Gavin Davidson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Fenella Campanino. It was sound edited by Mike Bryson and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you.